Hello, everyone. I'm Ollie. And I'm Andrew, and we are the co-hosts of the High Performance for Lazy People podcast, where we interview high performers so lazy people like us can learn from their insights and knowledge to improve our own lives. Fantastic. And just before we get started, just a quick word from our sponsors. Andrew? Oh, we don't have any sponsors, mate. I thought I told you. <laughs> what about Audible? No, we don't have any listeners. <laughs> what, what about Squarespace? We don't have a website, though. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> we will pause on the sponsorships then uh, and get back to that later once we have listeners and uh, a website. Um, but in the meantime, for our first podcast, we are extremely excited to be joined by Hanin Khan. Hanin is a lawyer turned sex coach on a mission to empower people to be unashamedly themselves in the bedroom and beyond. Hanin, before this, uh, this podcast, I was kind of stalking you on LinkedIn and it was fascinating to see at the start, it was like paralegal at this law firm and then you know associate trainee at that law firm and that law firm and slowly it kind of turned into sex coach, which is quite, quite the pivot. So how did that happen? Mm, thank you, Ollie, for the uh, introduction. And yeah, I feel, um, gosh, I don't know where to start. I feel like the best place to start would be like upbringing because sex is the most taboo thing I'm sure a lot of people can relate. Um, I didn't have sex until I was 19. And when I did, my mom almost disowned me. Um, I The only references I got to sex education was my dad inadvertently throwing like condoms into the trolley and never speaking about it and sex being a scary thing about STDs and pregnancy. So that was like the kind of environment I grew up in. Um, and I kind of was on the trajectory of being a lawyer and that was the expectation. So I, I really enjoyed it, but what happened um, halfway through sort of the training contract, I realized I just felt a little bit like the black sheep of the group. And I constantly tried to like break taboos and boundaries by sort of provoking people into talking about their sex lives. And I found that to be something quite thrilling about it. Um, and then I think eventually I kind of realized that a lot of my explorations were around um, dancing and embodiment. So I think it was partially my journey around that, um, which then led down to Tantra and partially my journey with relationships that event, yeah, that pretty much led to this career. And I think the final cake, icing on the cake was my job with Unforbidden, which um, was basically an immersive. So once I qualified as a lawyer, as you do, I decided to do a massive career switch um, into the wellness industry and started curating immersive theater um, designed to help us like stretch our boundaries around sensuality, sexuality, and spirituality. So um, that blew my mind because I was like, oh my God, this is this stuff is so important, like getting people aware of um, you know, their conditioning to open up their minds to what sexuality can look like in a in a <clears throat> sorry, healthy way. Um, and so I took the leap, like literally at the beginning of this year is when COVID um, hit and decided to just become self-employed and be a sex and intimacy coach. And here we are today. What, what do you think, Henin, is the, the biggest misconception that most people have around sex and intimacy? I would say there are two things that come to mind. One is that sex is... Um, d in the v like it's just it is just penetrative sex and that's what it is so um really inviting people to think about sex starting from um even sexting to writing erotica um the real the, the, the subtleties around sexuality um but one of my favorite ones this could just be a neen thing um but that sex um that there is there are different sex compatibilities i think sexual incompatibility is a myth and um, I think if you want it enough, you can actually um, 
through communication, through really understanding exactly what you want in the bedroom, you can start to understand each other's kind of sexual blueprint, you could say, and adapt yourself to, to meet each other where you are. So um, I think, yeah, I think that to me is quite revelatory because I think people think they're kind of, they pigeon themselves, pigeon, pigeon, hold themselves thank you um into one um sexual type and in reality we can actually work on expanding that so um there's a couple of others i'm sure but i don't know if you if you guys have any that you busted recently that you'd like to share as well well i think that is one of them is that your sex life when you're in a committed relationship tends to sort of dwindle and diminish and that over time you do become sexually incompatible and in that you're not no longer sort of attracted to one another. So I'm curious as to what are the things that couples can do to kind of spice up their relationships and maintain that sort of uh, sexual excitement throughout a 30, 40 year even relationship? Mm, love that question. Um, I'd actually like go back one step further, which is to ask where the need for creativity comes from, because sometimes that's a bit of a, a bandage for a deeper need around just intimacy or quality time. So even just questioning, what is it that I am wanting to achieve through having more of a creative sex life? Is it just more attention? Is it, um, yeah, what, whatever it might be. So starting with communication, it's really important. Um, and then I'd say there are so many things one can do to, to, so to, to, to inject spiciness. And I think it starts with really having a really good understanding of what each other's different needs are. So I would highly recommend doing like a sex menu, for example, which is basically getting you to list um, a bunch of the things that you'd be excited about, that you'd be turned off about, your hard boundaries. Um, and that way it like opens up a whole realm of like, these are my fuck yeses to these are my fuck noes. Um, it might be like wax play, sensory play, tantric rituals, breath work, sex and psychedelics. Um, it's uh, threesomes, um, going to play parties and orgies. There are so many things. And I think it's getting an idea of like what your yeses, nos and maybes are. And I would say another really important and overlooked thing would be masturbating together. I think when we masturbate together, we really start to understand what it is that our partner really likes and how they like to be touched. Um, so I think getting to know each other's bodies um, and generally being willing to improvise in the bedroom that's such an underrated like I think people think of sex in such a formulaic way like from a to z ending with orgasm um and in reality as I was saying before sex is so much more than just like performance and getting to the end goal and and, pen and and about penetration so starting to like rethink what does what encompasses sex as a whole wow with that. Uh, that was a lot. Uh, there is so much there I'd love to dig into. Firstly, Hanine, what you called it sex something, but I didn't catch it at the start. A sex uh, menu. A sex menu. Okay. So you understand your, your kind of turn offs and, and things like that. So it, it's really interesting to me, Hanine, that the, the question was kind of, you know, how can how can people spice up their sex lives if if you've you know been in a long relationship? And the answer I'd be expecting there, or maybe the answer I'd give is, oh, you know, try that position and, and, and you know, kiss them like that instead. But actually the things you've pointed to are far deeper that result around kind of communication and, and self-awareness around one's own sexuality. Um, when someone doesn't know what are their turn-ons and turn-offs and haven't really explored themselves in that depth, like what kind of, how do you scaffold that for people to help them through that journey? 
Mm, that's such a great question, Ollie. And I think it's actually, most people don't know what they want. It's probably one of the biggest um, things in sex. That's what, that's what makes it hard to ask what we want because we don't know. So in terms of scaffolding or tools, I guess, is what you're asking for to help people to understand. So masturbation is the first port of call. Like I think developing good self-pleasure practice um, that's experimental, that's not necessarily orgasm focused. So setting aside like 30 minutes of your day where you just explore your body and you are experimenting with breath, with your sound, with where not just touching your genitals, but also all around your body. I think a lot of the time we kind of expect our partner to know what it is, how it is that we like to be touched. So let's go with that. Start with starting with masturbation. Um, the second thing is talk to people. Like I don't think we talk about sex enough and uh, I think we can get so many great ideas and inspiration from having candid conversations with friends uh, or going to workshops, which there are plenty now popping up for women's circles, men's circles. Um, a third thing would be reading erotica. I have, um, I'm a big fan of Nancy Friday's uh, My Secret Garden, which is a collection of women's fantasies. Uh, I mean, there's, there's a ton, I can, I can put it in the, the, the crib sheet or anything you have for audience members later, but it gives me so many ideas of all the stuff that's out there, like different fantasies and role plays. And, um, and I, I listen to my body. So as I'm reading it, like how aroused do I feel? Um, and uh, I think that can be like a great, yeah, great inspiration for exploration and then maybe porn I'd even go so far as to say potentially porn like what is it out there that you really enjoy and like um I might caveat that but I'm sure we'll have a question on it around porn later yeah well maybe we can jump into that Andrew I know I know you have some thoughts on, on porn. <laughs> yeah well I, I'm super curious like I was addicted to porn when I was a teenager up until maybe like 17 18 when I got into my first relationship so I'm very curious as to what are the pros and, and cons of pornography? Is it like cocaine for your brain? Does it make you an unproductive slob? Or can it kind of facilitate sexual exploration as you kind of alluded to before? Mm, and I, okay. I think firstly, I don't want to demonize porn. Um, I think there's, I think that's a myth that porn is addictive, first of all. Um, I think people are great community to look into is your brain on porn. I think there's a lot of science around that. Um, and I think like with anything, it's not black and white. So I think, you know, what is your relationship to porn? Is it something that you um, have become kind of conditioned into watching in order to become aroused? Do you notice like, what effects do you notice from abstaining from porn and what happens when you do watch porn? Like, how is your attention span, your arousal levels when you are with a partner, um, mood swings, focus? If these things are starting to be effective, there are so many different ways that we can start to change our relationship with porn. So starting with, for example, just remembering to breathe. So, the, the, okay, these are uh, like various things that I think can be problematic when we do watch porn and they can be like really easily remedied. So one is remembering to breathe because we often like hold our breath when watching porn. Um, and that can like really just like hold the arousal in just one area of our body. The other is that we're super still. So moving around or maybe even like standing up, which might make the balance a bit harder, but it also gets you to like be more in your body, which is another thing in porn. Like we're just so like our arousal is so external focus. We're not paying attention to our bodies at all. Another thing, yeah, I guess it's it's the disconnection. I think that's the the, the one I, I'm most concerned about is um, not being connected to the body. So you know, you might even like watch a bit of porn and then like just use that to get aroused and then spend the rest of the time just 
masturbating without the the use of it in your on your screen there's so much more i can say oh i will add one more thing which is um ethical porn it's the be- best thing in the world i think so the the, the, con- the concerns i have about porn um being a negative messaging about women's bodies um like how i think there's only one depiction of what a vulva looks like which is like clean and shaved and like like no labia whatsoever and i think these could be like really damaging messages for women so i think converting to ethical porn is one of the best things i've done which is like a much more kind of realistic representation of what sex looks like from the female perspective so it has like m- more of the emotions involved like different body shapes and sizes um it's yeah i love it <laughs> that's all i'll say on it where, where can we watch ethical pornography and where, can you give us some more examples I can, yeah. Well, what I'll do is, I'll, rather than reel off a list, I'm happy to put them in the um, the show notes. It's a great idea. And, and when it comes to kind of non-ethical porn, otherwise known as porn, <laughs> like what, what do you think are the, if at all, are the issues that people can run into? So, I mean, Andrew mentioned that, you know, he, he was addicted as a teenager and you mentioned that you didn't believe in addiction of mm-hmm. porn. Can we can we dive into that? Like, Andrew, what, what did it mean for you to be addicted to porn? And, and Hanin, like, what's your hesitance to to kind of um recognize that so like on my end it became a tool for procrastination and i think i'm speaking for most teenage boys you would like sit down to revise for an exam or something and five minutes later you would be insert euphemism here um so that that's what i saw as as an addiction maybe addiction is is too intense a word but it did seem like it was having a negative impact um on my life so yeah, I, I, I mean, I'm curious as to how you, what you think of that. Mm. I think my, yeah, my hold up is with the word addiction. It does feel like really pathologizing and it feels like quite, I guess it depends on the definition of addiction, which I know can vary amongst the medical field. I, I will admit that this is not my area of expertise, like porn addiction generally. So I wouldn't be able to reel off a whole bunch of science statistics. It's more from like the reading material that I've consumed and a lot of the people I respect and sex educators claiming that. So I would say I wouldn't feel comfortable actually diving into like some of the, the, the science behind it. I would rather point people in the direction of your brain on porn or going to a therapist or joining some of the communities like the 21 day challenge or no fap, which I think um, you guys I've heard of as well. Like I don't, yeah. I don't necessarily yeah. know. Yeah, go on. <laughs> well, yeah, go on, Andrew. I think recently we've seen the explosion of this NoFap movement, which for people not in the know, NoFap is abstinence from masturbation, and you've now got fat astronauts. I think is is there <laughs> the appropriate term? Who <laughs> put on LinkedIn? <laughs> <laughs> like I saw, I, I scrolled across, I scrolled upon a, a YouTube video. I think just yesterday, and it was like. 1000 day no fab streak and the guy has like a million plus views on this video and the kind of thinking behind it is abstinence from masturbation makes you more productive it makes you more masculine it has all of these sort of positive effects so i i wonder what you think of that is that just like placebo or are there benefits from abstinence from, from masturbation and, mm-hmm. and before you jump in Hini, sorry just to kind of echo andrew's point like if you go on youtube there are some videos with tens of millions of views and tens of thousands of guys commenting saying oh my god i'm on day 33 it's almost like you know a diet and people are supporting each other like oh congratulations can't wait till you get to day 100 then we can celebrate and people are 
you know, speaking to so many benefits around how much more focus they have, how much less they sexualize women than when they were masturbating. Um, yeah, so curious, curious to hear your thoughts on that. Mm. I haven't read any science behind the no fat movement. Like I'm not convinced. Okay, so I wanna make a really big distinction here, which is that um, there's a difference between no masturbation and no ejaculation. So mm -hmm. I really dislike the idea of totally cordoning off all some forms of self-pleasure. Um, I mean, it's a very, ta you can also see it as like tantric training because um, they talk about being able to come without actually ejaculating. So I, I would say you'd get all the benefits of no fat um by just um by self-pleasuring you can do you can do as much as you like to yourself get yourself in like a complete aroused state but then maybe jump into a shower a cold shower or go dancing or like do something that's kind of high high adrenaline afterwards rather than um relying on the orgasm release which i feel is probably the reason why people lose focus and um you know procrastinate i don't know some of the other things that you mentioned that people people's intention behind no fat was I don't know how that ends with you. Suggesting replacing the physical ejaculation, physical orgasm with what, like a cold shower and like crazy yeah. dancing, some kind of yeah, alternative exhilarating intensity. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. That's what I would do. Definitely. But the, but but would you sort of um, approach orgasm and then withhold and then jump in the cold shower because that seems to require a huge I'm amount. Horrible. Of <laughs> Yeah, I would. Okay, so um, it is. It's gonna. It's. I feel like it would be tough. I mean, I don't have. A, I don't have a penis, so I can't <laughs> say like, how difficult or not it would be. Um, but I do think. I don't know if you guys have heard of the term edging, like this idea of getting to like ninety percent arousal and then coming back again. Um, so you can kind of play with the, the peaks and troughs of that. But as to how far you want to get before you decide to to jump into the shower, I think that's something that you each individual can play around with that themselves. Um, and I'm sure with time, you can start to build that tolerance. So you can start to get to like 90, 95%, which can be really, really difficult without going all the way. Um, yeah, that would be my two cents on it. Okay, so so there's there's replacing the, so are you suggesting then that it's the physical orgasm, the actual ejaculative release that is sort of putting, is detracting focus? A thousand percent, yes. Yeah, I mean, I don't have a doubt because self there are so many benefits to masturbation, like relaxation, all the hormone releases, um, the messages it's sending to yourself around like self-love and like, I mean, all the, yeah, I mean, self-massage, that kind of thing. It's, um, I don't know if you know the, the, the my two favorite um, professional masturbators are Betty Dodson, who passed away recently, and um, Joseph Kramer, who is like the role model for men. And actually, in those those men who are listening, research Joseph Kramer. He has some really interesting um, thoughts on porn and masturbation for men. But professional um, masturbators. Professional. <laughs> I mean, that's my comedic term for them. But they're oh, actually, okay. I thought there yeah. was like a job description on you know. <laughs> Indeed, <laughs> you get like 23 days off a year and you know <laughs> yeah I think well I do think that's kind of like their nick they have nicknames themselves professional masturbators or body or orgasm coaches um yeah I mean the, the great thing about being in the sex education field is that you get to basically make up your own title yeah yeah honey so coming from the so I had to do um sex education when I was a teacher uh, a couple of years ago I didn't know this. And I remember the um, 
the syllabus for it, we had to kind of follow these rules. And it was all awful because we, we were told to use words like, you know, ejaculate and whatever. And the students were just like, what? Like, they didn't know what these words meant. So when I would then say, oh, come, they're like, oh, come. And, and not just the kind of vocabulary, but the content was just, it was basically from the 1980s, I think. And it hadn't changed in about 40 years. Um, and it was somewhat informative, like, you know, if you don't use condoms, you can get AIDS kind of thing. But I also felt there was so much that was missing. And I kind of went off script and I was like, all right, guys, I've got 30 minutes. I'm going to try and be as, you know, useful as possible for my own experiences or not, not like telling them about my own experiences, but from things that I've seen and learned uh, about kind of sex. And it very quickly kind of turned into consent because I thought, well, actually, that's probably the biggest issue that I'm seeing um, and boundaries. And, uh, and I suppose two questions. One, I feel like had you been there for that 30 minutes, you'd have been able to impart so much more wisdom than, than me. So question one is like, if you were to have 30 minutes to speak to kind of every 16 year old in the country, like what would you tell them? I mean, don't talk for 30 minutes, but kind of sum it up in bullet points. And secondly, I'm, I'm curious to hear if, if consent and boundaries aren't part of that, then like, yeah, like how, how do you say no? And how do you establish consent in a consensual way. And there, there's so many questions around consent that I think people will really, really challenge, uh, really struggle with. So I just wanna like ask that open question and, and see where you take it. Yeah, uh, both huge questions. Wow, I, um, oh, what would I tell 16 year olds across the world? <laughs> um, I don't, want to, I don't want to pick just one thing. So a couple of things that come to mind is that sex is not like porn. That's a really big one because I think a lot of teenagers, especially now, it's more prevalent than ever that people get their sex education from porn. Um, so I would correct all of that and make them aware of that conditioning. Um, the second thing would be to highlight what I've been really fond of called the, pe the performance to pleasure model of sex. So to, to, to let them know that sex isn't about the end goal, about the orgasm, about looking perfect, about making the right sounds, about going fast and intensely. Um, it's all about following pleasure. Like pleasure is the measure. And I would get them to really, like to me, big part of sex, sex education has been about getting to know my body, feel my body sensations, um, which might not be exciting for a 16 year old to hear. But yeah, I think um, that those two would be probably the, the two things I'd focus on. Um, Consent and boundaries, gosh, yeah. God, God, we've only got 30 minutes. Um, yeah, I would definitely try and like fit in, like what does self-consent mean? So this idea of people, um, so consent is two people mutually agreeing to, to something, but in able, can you even recognize when something has crossed your boundaries? A lot of people can't, don't um, have the ability to sense that. So I'm kind of leaking into the second question now here. Um, but the a model that I love that I've taken from um, Betty, she talks about um, the three, like notice value and communicate. So I'll just go through that because I think honestly that is, has been a game changer for my approach to consent and boundaries. So she says, the first thing you do is you notice. Notice what is happening in your body, like any information that's coming up that's telling you, this is a yes, oh, this feels really good. Or like, yes, I really wanna kiss this person in front of me. Um, notice when it's like a screeching no, and it's like, oh my God, I, my, my body feels tense. My throat feels tight. I just don't feel good right now. And then, or it could be a maybe. So just like, can you even notice um, information? Um, 
And then with that information, can you value it? So that's the second, the second piece is like, can, do I, now this is it. This is a really interesting part because this is about our beliefs and often information will come in through the body or through the mind. And we don't necessarily value it because we think, uh, oh, it'll ruin the mood or like, um, this person's going to judge me for it or I'm too much and my desires aren't worthy enough. Um, we get shamed so, so much in a, especially around sexuality. So can we value the information that's coming in enough to then want to communicate it, which is the last point I want to make, which is kind of like, that's the difficult part. It's like finding the language that's going to be, um, well-received. Um, you can being able to explain it in a, in a respectful way and, um, having the courage to say if it's something that's potentially triggering or a no, like, I know I don't want to go that far or, um, and how do we word that? So, um, for me, I think I've, I've always like in favor of two things. One is like allowing yourself to mess up and be playful and messy with your delivery. Um, you could even preempt like the, the communication of the boundary by saying, I'm kind of nervous saying this, or like, I feel really, um, I feel worried about how you might perceive this, just like really just naming your feeling in the moment um, and then following that up with how you actually feel. Um, I think safety is so, so important. Like basically we can't feel any pleasure unless we feel safe to explore. Like one of my favorite uh, messages uh, or one of the favorite learnings I have is I can't trust somebody's yes unless I can trust their no. Um, and this, this is why at the beginning of every new kind of exploration or relationship, I try and encourage um, clients to be able to introduce no's more often. So um, so that it, beco it becomes normalized. Like, no, I don't wanna have that pizza tonight or no, I don't wanna have sex with you tonight. No, I don't feel like sleeping over in your bedroom tonight. Like, no, 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 celebrate the fucking no's <laughs> so that we can start to like really believe in the yeses. Cause often I, I if I don't hear enough no's, I don't trust. The, my partner's yeses mm, well, why not why not um gosh because I did I guess I for me it's I go into caretaking so I think if that person I start to make a story in my head that this person doesn't take care of um d won't take care of themselves they're not going to stand up for their own boundaries so I'm like okay that means I have to really like I have to go into overdrive with my sensing, like read overread this person's body language, um, try and take care and, and preempt their needs before they've even preempted it, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes Build trust, basically. Yeah. yeah. I don't know, do you guys relate to that at all? Is this a concept that's landing like with you? Yeah, so what, one thing that I sort of struggle with is the ego management that sort of it comes with with boundaries and consent and just open sexual communication it's very often been very difficult for me to tell a girl oh actually <laughs> um you're doing it completely wrong um or words to that effect right so I, I wonder if you have any any thoughts around kind of ego management and um especially with partners who are less kind of sexually open-minded and less experienced in sexual communication how do you make sure you don't break their their egos especially in such a vulnerable space yeah oh my god such a great question and it's a really common one as well for couples um who find it difficult to feedback for fear of yeah hurting or getting feeling judged or being judged um 
So I would make a distinction between um, the kinds of conversations you'd have in the bedroom and outside the bedroom, first of all. Not everything should and needs to be con like communicated there and then when you're actually in the act of foreplay and in sex. Um, if it's like a really big debrief, then save that for when you're going on a walk or out at dinner. Um, if it's something that's, you know, in the moment, like, um, I'd love a bit more pressure. I'd love um, if you could touch my clitoris and circles in this way, then great, you know, be instructional. Um, mm. You might even want to say, like, let your partner know, oh, I'm going to try out this new thing of trying to be a bit more um, uh, instructive in the bedroom um, so that it feels like you have that permission, because often we won't change our behaviors unless we kind of like let our partners know in advance. Um, so those kinds of things I would, if it's in the bedroom, I, the tip I like to give is try to make things, um, couch it in the affirmative. So I'd love, instead of saying, no, 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 go, don't do that. You'd be like, can I have more of this instead? Um, cause that just lands better. And I mean, or you can do what someone, I, I stole this from the sex, sex, sex educator, which is called the shit sandwich. Um, which basically means like you start with something that you really love, like about what they're doing. And then you give them like a, a feedback point, And then you end with something that you really love, which may be a bit of verbose while you're in the bedroom, but <laughs> take it what you will. Um, and then if it's something deeper than that, Andrew, if it's like, you know, um, wow, this person's just not meeting me, like where I need to be met. <laughs> like, I think we're like, are we incompatible? Then I would have a whole other conversation, um, and, and talk to your partner about it. So I don't, is it worth me going into like a conversation model? Yeah. Well, I, I was, yeah, I, I think so. And I think to make it really concrete because like, Henny, you are like one of the best, you are the queen of communication, the way that you have communicated to me as a friend has just been like phenomenal. And I see you communicating with people and I'm always like really inspired by it. So maybe you can go into the model, but maybe we can role play it. One of, one of your favorite things, Hanine, I know. Uh, <laughs> uh, well. uh, like you are giving in a hypothetical world, like me or, or Andrew feedback and, and we can actually kind of role play it and then take a step back to analyze how you've actually approached giving that feedback, if that's something you're open to. Yeah, sure. Should we use, well, would it be good to do the role play and then dissect it later? Should we do it that yeah, way? If that's what will make you comfortable, I'm happy to be the uh, the um, the subject. Okay. okay. I'm, I'm I'm not pleasing you. Okay. You can okay. you can you can uh, set the scene as to what I'm doing that's wrong, or maybe something that your clients tell you a lot to make it as actionable as possible and relatable to people. Sure. Okay. So, um, hey, Ollie, I'd love to have a conversation with you about our sex life, and I find it. Yeah, I'm loving our exploration together. And I think um, that would be really juicy to, to take to deep dive into it. And I'm wondering like if now would be a good time or maybe over dinner tonight. Yeah, I mean, my mom's right here, so probably not. <laughs> <laughs> okay, great. Yeah, I, to say, I, I, I had to say that. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that, 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 sounds, that sounds cool. What, what's, um, what, what's going on? Um, so yeah, I, I guess I just wanted to start by saying I've really been enjoying our sex exploration together and I one thing I've loved and then I'd insert like a, a thing that I really really loved okay so it might be um uh I've really loved how attentive you are and how much you really like pay attention to my body um especially in the warm-up and you like yeah I just wanted to say that you please keep doing that and also like keep like giving me feedback I really find it so hot that you know to like give me instructions during sex mm. um what I'd love to talk about is um, about my needs around space and anticipation and tease. Um, and I guess what I'd love to, to get out of this conversation is just to be like heard. 
that's that's what I'd love and and just to get maybe your thoughts on it and how it lands with you um okay yeah sure yeah um so yeah, I guess I've noticed I, I went to this like this workshop the other day and they were talking about erotic blueprints and I realized that my sexual type is energetic. And so um, I guess I wanted to I was excited to share this with you because I think I understand myself better now. Um, and basically for my type, apparently I need a lot of like space and maybe breath work and eye gazes and um, pauses like peaks and troughs in sex um, and sometimes I feel as though when we're engaged sexually it feels like we're quite goal orientated and it's really fast and it's intense um, and I'd love to be able to explore sex in a way that feels more um, creative and less goal-centric I think that would really really help me to like just uh, yeah feel all, okay. yeah, all blah, blah, blah. Uh, and then then I would ask I might say how did that land for you or how would you um could you just would you mind repeating what I said just to make sure that you kind of like have heard me in the way that I intended to be heard um, sure. well so it sounds like you think I'm amazing in the bedroom to start with <laughs> um and you um have noticed recently by going to workshops that something that you particularly uh, respond well to is uh, more teas and more space rather than sex being about just kind of reaching a climax. W what does that look like concretely for you, you know, um, in the bedroom? Like what, what can I do better or differently? Mm, great question. Um, I would say, I guess I'd love more permission to pause during sex um, and to just slow down or maybe even stop entirely. Um, just so I can tune into what I need. Cause sometimes I just, I kind of override that because we're going, if we're going at a certain pace, um, it might mean, I would love it if you initiate that sometimes as well, um, just to check in and say like, do you wanna, do you wanna pause right now? Um, it I'll, might be- I mean, if, if there are any moments where you feel um, like you want to pause, what, what's the best way that I can, can notice that and, and accommodate that? Hmm. I would say if, if you notice that I have stopped trying to vary it up. So if I've like maybe become a bit more formulaic maybe um, and I'm not initiating anything. Um, so I've become a little bit stuck or samey with my moves. That's probably one way. Yeah, that's yeah. all it. Or my breath, actually pay attention to my breath as well. If it starts to, if I, you notice I'm not breathing. <laughs> and I'll be worried. <laughs> <laughs> I'm definitely doing something wrong if you stop moving. Right. Yeah. Listen, shall we shall we pause the the role play there, Andrew? Obviously, as the spectator, how how did that make you feel? Thank you for for sharing that with you guys. <laughs> um, so, firstly, there was I, I noticed the positive framing for sure, and it was very much like I would love it if we could also do this. So it was like additive rather than what you're doing right now is too much, or I'm not enjoying the status quo, it's more like, I'd like to explore this. So that was cool. Um, I also like the way that you brought it in. It was like, oh, I've recently discovered this thing about myself. Whereas I think, I don't know how else you would do it actually now, but like, I, I imagine it could be very easy to say, you know, actually I, I like it like this. And that immediately suggests that in the past you've, you've experienced it in that way. And that creates that like sort of sexual comparison. You're like, oh, right. Um, he's had other partners who've been better at X, Y, Z than, 
than me. So I really liked how it was more like, oh, I've recently discovered this thing about myself. I didn't even know this before. So how could you possibly know this? So I thought that was really cool. And it, it, it sort of removes the ego from the situation um, quite tactfully. Amazing. Yeah, that's so well picked up, actually. Yeah, the, the framing was important, the positivity. Um, you may have noticed I also was, I set the purpose of the communication. So often um, there are, I think there are like three different things that we might need from a conversation. It might be just to be shared, uh, just to be seen and heard. Like that's kind of what all I wanted was that from Ollie. It might be to have the, um, a problem fixed or solved or get some advice. That's the second one. Or the third one is that you're seeking some kind of reassurance, celebration, praise, empathy, something like that. Um, so like, I think it's, that's really helpful, especially for men. Men like to understand like the practicalities. Um, so I think- my, As my uh, role-playing kind of demonstrates, right? I was like, right, so like, what does that look like concretely? Yeah. Exactly that, so yeah. Did exactly. I not hold space for you there in the way that you wanted to? Did, what was the question? Like, did I, cause actually you did say at the start, all I want is to be heard and seen, but in my, brain i was like well actually for my own sake in this hypothetical situation i want to know um like what i can do better um <laughs> so do you feel like i did make you feel seen and heard but because i maybe i didn't because i went straight into like okay like how do we how do we improve this yeah i liked so uh, the reason i think you did it well is because you also summarized um you didn't just kind of go launch straight into the question you actually were like okay i'm hearing that you need more slowness and anticipation which is great i'm wondering how i can support you in that like how would i notice i think those were very caring questions and helped me to even clarify my own thinking around it um so i think you did a beautiful job of, of that so much. yeah and i think that's the, like a point there around general communication which is that is such a powerful tool. Some people call it, um, uh, I don't know, I'm not sure if that's, that is mirroring, isn't it? It's where when someone tells you something, just by kind of paraphrasing what they've said, you're demonstrating to them that you understand where they're coming from. And it's just a re even if you don't have the answers, it's a really effective tool, both sexually and non-sexually to, to show people that they are they are being heard and held. And I think it's in my own life, it's, it's become a really important way to, to build relationships with people. Yeah, that's such a great point, Ollie. Yeah, mirroring is so important. I think often we get so stuck in just wanting to say our own point and we're just like waiting for our, where our, our turn to say what we want, but mirroring is, yeah, such a powerful tool. I also want to make make sure I add this because um this is important because what I the example like we gave just now is not a particularly inflamed kind of controversial thing so I would add that if it's something that's going to be potentially kind of sticky and difficult to talk about that you don't talk about it when you're hungry angry lonely or tired which is like halt mm -hmm. hungry angry lonely tired so if you feel like dysregulated or you feel um, dysregulated means um, that our nervous system is in fight or flight or we're feeling really stressed that's not the time to have a conversation like science has told us like well, you can't we can't listen effectively if we're not relaxed um, so just be aware of like what state you're in. If, if you're in the middle of the conversation you start to notice that you're getting activated just be like hey I need a just a time out 20 minutes and then really do come back after 20 minutes so that there's this sort of consistency and, and dependability there but yeah I would just add that mm. I I quite like to up the stakes a little bit um, because <laughs> I think that, so I responded a certain way that, that some people may respond. Like it might take some self-awareness and kind of for someone to have already done work on their, on their traumas and ego to, to get to the point to, to not take these things personally and defensively. I wonder now, again, I'm happy to be the, the, the role player, but maybe Andrew, if, if you're up for it, to do a similar role play, maybe a different thing, but 
maybe Andrew, you can be a little bit more defensive and um, what, you know, your everyday lad might respond to, to the kind of conversation. And maybe I, I would love people to hear and see how Hanin, you kind of deescalate these situations where maybe it doesn't, it's not the guy then suddenly or the girl kind of responds and, and mirrors you and then, okay, everyone's happy. Does that, does that sound all right? That sounds great. Yeah, let's do it. I'm down to try it out. I'm down to pump up the ego and, and give it uh, there's not much work you need to do there, Andrew. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, again, why don't why don't you um pick another uh, another kind of thing and uh, uh and and take it away? Uh, yeah. just before I do that, is there a one that you have in mind that you'd like me to, to try out? Maybe something that you've had to give a, to I I don't have anything specific in mind, but it would be interesting to try a situation where, let's say the first time this incident happened, you did not sort of speak out about it. And let's say it's now been three months or something, mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's now a bit awkward to bring it up. Um, that I think would be like an interesting place to, to sort of, because I think that's also where a lot of people find themselves, unless they happen to be listening to this podcast at the brink of a, a new relationship is, you know, most couples have been seeing each other for a while and they won't know how to sort of start that conversation. So um, I think that would be really interesting. So I, I kind of want to play the situation where uh, the, the guy has been doing something like that he thinks is really good. So there's like more ego involved in it. Um, he goes down on you, um, yeah. like you kind of, you handle it, but you don't enjoy it, but he thinks you love it and you kind of have faked orgasmed for the last three months. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would be a really good one. That would be a really juicy okay. one. Okay, so the scenario is going to be that um, Andrew Andrew's oral sex is just not up to par with what I enjoy, and um, he's been doing it in a way that hasn't been pleasing. And I've um, yeah, something around I've been faking orgasms for like three months now, and I finally worked up the courage to be like, okay, this is actually not what I like, and this is what I do like. Something around that. Anything to add to that, Andrew? No, I think I think that's a good one. That would that would be, I think, a, an egotistical situation, a higher stakes one than the one that Ollie did. I like, I like how you gave yourself the easy one, Ollie. Being the <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I would like to be the defensive one actually, but I'm so excited to, to watch this. Uh, <laughs> All right. So, um, Andrew, hi, <laughs> hi. Um, I would love to. I'd love to have a conversation about our sex life. Um, I've been meaning to talk about it for a while and I guess I've been feeling a little bit lost as to how to actually, you know, tell you about it. So it does feel a little bit vulnerable. Um, and I'd love to talk to you about it when you feel ready, like when we're both feeling relaxed, maybe over dinner tonight or, or now even if you're free. Yeah, absolutely. Let's, let's do it. Yeah. I love talking about sex. <laughs> Great. So do I. Um, so I... Yeah, I guess um, I want to start by saying, yeah, I love, um, I've, I've really enjoyed like how much, how much high drive we both have for sex, how much we love it, how much we're so creative about what we bring into the bedroom. Um, but I have to, I have to admit, I just, it feels really vulnerable, even as I'm saying this, um, that for the last few months, I haven't really been enjoying oral sex and I, I actually find it quite painful and I'll be honest I've been um haven't been doing you any favors because I've been faking orgasms as well and um I really 
I, I've learned recently just through talking to my friends that that is like pretty much the worst thing you can do. So I just really want to say that I take responsibility for that and I want to apologize for that um, and be able to explore what good oral sex would look like going forward. I wonder if you'd be yeah, open to having that conversation. Wow. Wow. My default response is to be like, oh my God, thank you for sharing that with me. I'm so sorry that but an egotistical response. I'm not sure what I would I would actually say. Um, well, telling me that for the last three months you would make it. Go on, Andrew. <laughs> it's easy. <laughs> so you're telling me that all of those times where you were screaming and your legs were shaking, and you were telling me that I was the best sex you'd, you'd ever had, that was all fake. I wouldn't say no. I feel um, I can definitely feel that you're you're hurt right now, and I, I really understand where you're coming from. I've effectively haven't been entirely honest with you, and I want to say no. It's not all been fake. There's just been aspects of oral sex, and I've that have not felt so great for me, and I've just felt I think performative. I think I've been feeling a pressure to kind of act in the way that I think you want um, me to feel, and I guess it's because I feel so much pleasure when you're in pleasure, um, but I realize that that's not doing either of us a service. So um, I guess couching it as a as a big lie, I don't I don't want it to come across as that as that it was coming from a good place. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I I would love to be able to start fresh and to like have a conversation about what it would be like just to have oral sex for pleasure sake as opposed to performance sake um yeah okay so what do you want me to do um I guess well firstly I'd, I mean it sounds as though I don't know if I can go any further in the conversation until I feel like I've really heard where you're at so tell me how do you feel like what is this um what is this bringing up for you right now well I just think like you know if you're not enjoying something you should have you should have told me earlier because like I don't know what the fuck you want um so but yeah like just tell me what you want and you know I can just do that um I yeah I would love to be able to tell you more about what I want I'd love to hear more about maybe how you approach it I'd love maybe you could teach me something in this that sounds like your your strength is to be able to um speak up about what you need um and I'd be I'd love to be able to learn from that because I find that much more difficult it makes me think, what else are you lying about if that's what you've been doing for the last three months? How can I trust you if you're faking orgasms? Like, what else are you faking in the relationship? I really hear that the trust is broken and that's probably, that's a really high value in sex. Um, I would really like to be able to repair that trust um, through having this conversation. And I'm wondering what I might be able to, like, all I can do is reassure you that there aren't other areas of my life that I am lying to you about, but um, is there something I can do to help bridge that safety back again? Well, I want to know why you did it in the first place. Do you not think I could just, like, you can just tell me, like, why did you not think you could tell me? Um, it's because I really felt, uh, again, that sense of pressure to perform. Um, I hadn't really been taught to really, like, 
access my pleasure and to be able to speak up for what I wanted. I guess I felt shame around even having desires, if I'm being honest. Um, who am I to like tell you what I like and maybe you wouldn't like it. I wouldn't want to force you to do something you didn't want to do. Um, but I realized that actually that's one of the most empowering things I can do. And I realized that that's something you would like react really well to. Um, so I think it's really just a case of me being, um, yeah, conditioned <laughs> into a certain way of react, like, um, receiving pleasure. And so, do you do this with other guys or is it just me? Um, it's with, I could, I could be really like difficult here and say it's only with you um uh yeah I will okay I'll be just okay so um I think I've noticed um it, it has felt maybe more pronounced with you than in other relationships um I, I guess if I'm to think back to why no <laughs> oh shit oh shit I'm trying to make this conversation more difficult, basically. Um, so I, yeah, this is really hard for me to say. Um, I guess I can just compare you with Bob, my ex, um, who, yeah, I would say that he, I think something that would really help me, okay, I'm gonna actually remove my reference to the ex because that's probably not helping so much. Um, but I have noticed in previous experience that something that really helps me is to be asked what I want, like what what is it, um, what is it that I want? To have that question thrown at me again and again and again really forces me to think about my own pleasure and pay attention to that. So I think, um, it has been easier in some relations than relationships than others. I'm just being completely honest with you. I wouldn't want to um, paint a, a, a incorrect picture. Um, so I think that's what I would, I would really value that if you feel able to um, take on that feedback. Okay, so what do you want? Um, well, firstly, are you, do you feel in a place to hear what I want? Does that feel like a good time or... Is there something else underneath it that you'd like to talk about first? Well, it's just difficult for me because, you know, I've, ugh, I've obviously been doing things under the impression that you were enjoying them. And now to find out that that was all just a, a lie, it, it's really hard for me to process. And if I'm being honest, the fact that it's only been with me that you've had felt this weird pressure to, to fake this. It makes me feel like number one, I'm like putting you under this pressure. And number two, that I'm not good enough compared to other partners that you've been with. Mm, okay, so I'm, yeah, I'm hearing that it's now difficult to trust me because it's something that you've, that this has been a pattern and now you're kind of, there's a comparison with other partners and, um, pressure to perform i've forgotten some of the things you've said now but basically i would summarize what you've said i guess i just feel quite um i don't feel able to really talk about what i want right now because what I, what really is important and valuable for me is for us to feel um trust with each other again like what's less important is the how and more that um I'm here because I care about you. I'm choosing to bring this up because our relationship really matters to me. And if it didn't, I wouldn't be bringing this up. I would, I would, yeah, not be bothered. I'd let it slide, but I care so much and I've really enjoyed our sex. So this is why I, 
I just want to make sure we're okay before we even go to, you know, mechanics and talk about the hows and, and all of that stuff. Should, should we pause the role play there? I, I think so. I mean, I think in this situation, this hypothetical Andrew would probably storm off and want some sulking time before, before coming back. Yeah, and actually, maybe then I could have just said, "Look, I'd I'd be happy to maybe take some time out." Actually, if I could, if I started sensing that you were going into defensive mode, um, I would maybe suggest, like, maybe if we we take some time out, uh, would that feel good for you? And then we can come back, and um, you can tell me what what you might need from me to help me build that trust and safety again. Yeah, for sure. But I wonder, like. In a, in a dynamic like this, where the other person is so sort of ego strong and reluctant to sort of open up and defensive, is that a, is that a savable situation? Like, can you get around that? Because once you bruise the ego like that, is there a way, is there a way out? I'm quite curious. Mm, I think this is so context dependent. So I wonder, so A, it could go down the route of, yes, the ego is bruised for a time period, right? But he goes off, he cools down, he comes back. And depending on how much he loves his girlfriend may decide, okay, look, I'm willing to overlook this. And these are the things that I need from you now to build up that safety again. So there could be that option. The second one is like, this is really, really damaged and shaking up the relationship beyond repair. And I think, you know, when it's beyond repair, when there's this like contempt kind of feeling this idea of like just even looking at you makes me sick and I can't I don't think I can even go there like maybe it's a consistent pattern um in those situations actually if you I mean that to me is a great like um sort of warning flag if I'm having a com conversation with a partner that's vulnerable and I'm really putting out all the stops to like try and like rem remediate the relationship and they're just not having it do I really want to be with a partner who can't hear me out, um, there comes a point when that I start to ask myself that question. I wrote um, a bunch of notes, um, mm -hmm. but I was so keen on looking at you guys, I can't really read my handwriting. <laughs> but can I, can I just try and, because I wrote some things that I loved about how you communicated there, um, Hanina, and also a couple of things that I had questions around. Am I okay to just whip through them? Because um, yeah. I think it could be really useful. So the way you brought the conversation up was you were really, explicit about how this conversation you know you were, you were feeling quite lost and vulnerable and i think that's a really great way to to show literally vulnerability so that the other person um can can have that empathy for you so i thought that was really really effective mm -hmm. um and you also framed what you were doing in a way that was damaging to the relationship in a good way so you were saying um you know and i actually haven't been doing us any favors by doing this and again it's not about you it's about you as a relationship which i thought was a really powerful thing that you said you mm -hmm. are acknowledging that in in lying or, or, or not telling the full truth you are you know in, in some way being destructive to the relationship and kind of calling that out before andrew could call that out i thought that was really really effective mm -hmm. um and when you were talking about you know, next steps, you, you mentioned a couple of times, you know, I want to take responsibility for this. Um, and I want to, you know, I want to take ownership for this. So you're not hiding away from it. You're, you're owning that responsibility and being, being forthright in that, which I think takes a lot of courage. Um, so the overwhelming feeling I got there was, you know, like, okay, Hanin is doing this for the benefit of the relationship and it's hard for her to bring this up, but she loves Andrew. So that's why she's bringing it up. Um, lots of more 
like awesome things I thought, but to jump into the to the sandwich sides, a, a couple of things I noticed, and I, I want to get your thoughts. So one thing you said um, that could be interpreted in two ways. You said I'd love to talk to you about this when you feel ready. Now I, I'm pretty sure you meant like as in like is now the right time or like after you finish your pasta kind of ready. But <laughs> my ego side interpreted that as like when you feel ready emotionally maturity wise to take this on which which i wouldn't have responded too well um at least in that moment when you said it that was the initial reaction that that i think a lot of people would have had so that's one thing worth bearing in mind yeah. and another is um you mentioned i've been speaking to friends about this uh and they've told me that it's you know important and again i think you meant like you might have been speaking in a different context but all i'm thinking was the guy you told jessica that you've been fake and i would again that would just you know set a lot of people up um and then and then the, the final the final thing was um when you mentioned bob but i think you 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 kind of took that back which is a good idea because as soon as bob gets in the picture then then that's not optimal I, i'll pause there do you have any thoughts on, on those points do you agree or am i missing something that was really well summarized Ollie. you picked up on like definitely the things like the taking the responsibility um the i think i would have added like i was trying to kind of kill andrew with kindness and constantly empathize with his um position because i could see that he was kind of like he had a sort of victim mentality or kind of like i'm just gonna deflect or like fine tell me whatever and i was reluctant to continue into further in, further into the conversation until i really felt like he had been able to like tell me everything he felt um in terms of the when you feel ready um yeah I'd had meant when you feel like you have the emotional capacity which um that's interesting that you say could trigger maybe a guy or, or anyone actually I I personally wouldn't have felt triggered by that but it's yeah I think hmm perhaps a different variation of that could be um whenever you're excited to have this conversation yeah yeah. yeah yeah totally absolutely just a couple more points that i loved i think you said you know i hear you you mirrored andrew a lot and you really reflected what he was feeling um and i could kind of see him nodding along uh, uh you know uh, with what you were mirroring which was great and you mentioned you know i hear the trust is broken and i want to repair that trust um i liked that you kind of said is this something that you'd like to explore you know, I can't go further in this conversation until I feel like I know where you're at. So you're really trying to reach out to him and, and hold that lending hand. Mm -hmm. uh, and kind of, I think something that you said to, at the end, and this is my final point, was excellent. You're like, look, I'm choosing to bring this up because I care about this relationship. Mm -hmm. I think that was great. And I think that could have been said sooner as well. Like, look, I'm really vulnerable and I feel it's, it's difficult for me to bring this up, but I really like what we are right now and I want this to go forward and I feel like for the benefit of our relationship it's like I want to bring this up because of how much you mean to me and and I I don't it doesn't sit well with me for there to be kind of incongruence between how I'm acting and, and how I'm feeling I think had that been said sooner that could have been a bit more uh a bit better yeah and, yeah and then sorry the actual final thing is I think when you talked about the things that you enjoyed, it was quite broad. You were like, I can't remember what you said, but you're, oh, I love, you know, the energy. And it was very kind of broad, whereas the thing that could have been better was quite specific. So I wonder if the things that you liked could be really specific. Like, I love when you do this particular thing because it makes me feel this way. Um, 
because it felt like to me you were saying something nice for the sake of like oh got to say something nice i'm just going to tell him the sex is good whereas i think you could be even more specific with the things that you like um and then at the end when you said you know i enjoy other parts but just not this part you could say there's like everything else like the sex and the foreplay and the the talk and blah 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 like i love all of that this is just one aspect that I'm, i've been feeling a little bit of etc yeah, yeah. Uh, that's great, Ollie. And I, I'm so glad you mentioned that about the specificity. I think um, I think because it was a role play, I was kind of like, I can't think of doing it. Yeah. But I highly, like any time that you're giving affirmations to a partner, it has to be true. Um, so yeah, I mean, in that in in instance, it sounded probably vague and- um, it That's not your fault, right? Because it's a role play and you can't think of anything kind of specific. That no, was really. super fun. Yeah, that was awesome. Andrew, do you have anything to add? No, 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 that, that I, I think um, I, I actually felt a lot of those things that you mentioned, Ollie, even though I was in like this role playing character. Also, mm -hmm. congratulations, because you, you, I think you gave really good feedback there. And mm -hmm. I like the little criticism sandwich that you, that you delivered. Oh. <laughs> Consciously, or that was just like, <laughs> let's give meta feedback on my feedback. <laughs> that was pretty well done. Cool. Although I, I do wonder, like, what if everything is is bad? So let's say you're in an amazing relationship. So it's like nine out of 10 on all other metrics in terms of like compatibility and the sex just isn't ticking the boxes. Do you think that's something that you can, can rescue inside a relationship or would it just sort of crush the other person's ego if you had to, I don't know, like retrain them from, from scratch sexually? Mm. Do you know what, Andrew? I really want to do a workshop on how to like, upskill your partner or educate your partner on like how on on sex without making them like making it feel patronizing or breaking or yeah damaging their ego because I think that I imagine that comes up so often um so yeah in your hypothetical experiment um yes I definitely think if there's everything else is matching up which I assume includes clear and honest communication and vulnerability I I would struggle to imagine uh, sex being such a siloed area of a problem. In fact, it's usually, um, yeah, I think the sexual problems would leak into the relationship and people often think it's the problem that the problem is about the relationship when actually sex is the fundamental, sex can help solve a relationship. <laughs> um, and so wait, was your question, how would you approach it or what my opinion is on I was just wondering if you think it's if you think it's salvageable, like um, if if like uh, yeah, if everything else is amazing, but the sex just isn't doing it. Is that something that you can rescue? Um, yeah. Yes. I, I I do think so. So I think what's needed is willingness. Like I think if you both want it enough, uh, you're both willing to communicate it about about it. I would say the number one feedback I give is to open your mouth, because um, you can't change anything without having a dialogue about it. Um, then absolutely, you know, and I think some challenges will be greater than others. Like maybe the partner will come, comes from a sexual trauma background um, and it might be that uh, sex is a really unsafe space for them. So they may need to take therapy or like to regain their confidence um, with sexual pleasure solo for a while. Um, it might be mean that, yeah, certain sexual acts are cut off, for example, until you build that safety and trust again. Um, I would, I'd, I'd almost say it's that down to that. If everything else in the relationship is adding up, it's definitely salvage. Unless you can think of an, a particular, I don't know if a particular, you know, example comes to mind for you, um, where you can identify why it might be that sex is the. 
No, I think I think a lot of it came out in that role play that we did where let's say everything's been amazing and but there's been some element of kind of dishonesty in the bedroom. I think that's one of those things that feels like it'd be very difficult to to kind of wrestle with. Um, but I think you're right, like with enough hard work, if the relationship means enough to both people, you could you could get through it. Yeah, I think so. I think often we can distill down it really like to me sorry because it was quite a, a wide question but if we distill down the problems and the eventually the beliefs behind why something is happening it, that's usually where the problems in sex come from comes from it's not like oh i i'm not very good at giving head or um i don't know um how to breathe properly in sex it's usually a lot deeper than that so getting to the like the why is why is that important why is that why why does this happen why does this happen until you get to the core underlying belief which might be like i'm not worthy of having desires and that's then it will has have all of these symptoms in sex um that might mean you don't assert your needs it might mean that you ignore your body signals um yeah that you don't receive at all because you're just like i, I just don't deserve this um so that's what I would do. I do self-inquiry as to what exactly is the be underlying belief. Amazing. Um, well, that was, and actually on that, on that last point, Hanin, uh, I, I wrote another thing down, but now I can now read it. But one, I think the best thing that you said was I have fear about having desires. Um, and like that, I mean, no matter how much ego Andrew may have, like that's like, okay, like, dude, you're being like, you're, I understand where it's coming from. I mean, you you struggle to state your desires, maybe the stuff in your past and your childhood that might affect that and your previous relationship with sex. So for you to even talk about this is like very courageous. So I thought I was like, when you said that, I, I got and again, so excited, I can't even read what I wrote. Um, amazing. Uh, I think um, we will kind of finish up here, but Hanin, before, before we go, um, I would love you to share with with the peeps kind of what Sex Homework Society is all about, which is, you know, this project you've been running for the last couple of months. So how did it start? What it's all about? What journey do you take people on during Sex Homework Society and, and what's to come? Mm, thanks, Ollie. Um, yeah, so Sex Homework Society is a baby that I gave birth to at the beginning of this year. Um, it's a nine week course uh, for 12 sex nerds that starts in mid-Jan. And we basically, I've really consciously chosen all of the modules in the right sequence. So we start, start on, starting off with pleasure. Like I said, pleasure is the measure. It's the foundation of sex. If we can't tune into that, then it's pretty difficult to move from there. So exploring your pleasure story into moving into what is, how do we feel arousal and desire? So we get into some of the science um, using Emily Nagoski's book, Come As You Are, as the foundations for that. So I give people homework each pre-workshop, and then we kind of delve into that strip away like what is what is our conditioning what are our beliefs here at the moment um and how and basically becoming the queen like the queen of ourselves like really understanding like our sexual selves before we um start exploring with others i think that's the, the main takeaway from sh uh, from sex homework society uh we move into communication there's two modules of that as you've now had a little sample of so communication in the bedroom and out um, and erotic blueprints, which I think I would highly recommend people listening to consume um, Jaya's content. She talks about the five sexual blueprints, um, which is just a great super hack into our sexuality and to understand our type. Um, that's typically the most popular session. And then we roll into uh, fantasy and shame, um, which is, I think, so overlooked. It's this idea of what does our, what do our fantasies give away about um, our 
kind of our past and how fantasies help us to feel safe and overcome actually some of our traumas um, and how do we hold that compassionately and integrate that into our sexual journey. Those are that, that one's definitely the most psychological of all the units. Uh, and then we round off with a, a big um, masturbation, uh, not <laughs> literally live, but we end on like a solo, solo masturbation um, module. And it's, it's beautiful. I mean, people have loved it. Um, and um, yeah, currently applications are open until the end of this month. So if anyone has any questions, you're welcome to book a discovery call with me too. Amazing. And, and if, if people want to find out kind of, uh, you know, if they want to contact you and, and reach out to you, what's the best way that they can do that? Um, yeah, they can either go onto sexhomeworksociety.com or email me at hello at sexhomeworksociety.com. Nice. I can definitely speak to the blueprints. Um, I think you sent me one of the quizzes a little while ago and I found out that I was essential in the bedroom. Essential. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. I, I love that so much because it's something I'd always known kind of residually, but now I had like this blueprint for how I explore that. And it also took away a lot of pressure because prior to that, I had felt like, oh, men are meant to enjoy these three things from sex. It's meant to be aggressive and masculine, et cetera. And then finding out that, oh, actually there are all of these different blueprints. It's, it's the same for men as it is for women was very kind of um, freeing for me and allowed me to kind of explore that more sensual side of, of myself. So that was cool. Mm. I do have one last question for you, which is, as you know, um, I've spent, you know, several years now sort of sex exploring and sort of rummaging down the, the rabbit hole that is, you know, sex. Um, I'm, I still feel though that I'm at the, the tip of, a, of an iceberg. And I'm, I'm curious as to what is at the bottom of this, this iceberg. So I wanted to ask you like, what is the most crazy sexual, it can be a fantasy or something that people actually do, like the most out of this world um, sort of sexual practice that you are aware of? Just so that I can get a sense, Ollie can get a sense and everyone listening can get a sense of just how much there is to explore in the world of sex. Mm, this is interesting. I have so many mixed feels to this question. Um, firstly, I know Andrew and I know that you're like also uh, the type of person to go for like the big extremities and the intense experiences. <laughs> so I'm really hearing your desires in this question and I'm wondering if everyone would have that necessarily, which is why I, I hasten to say that like this is something, this is like the, um, the treasure chest at the end of your journey for everyone. So I, I guess um, maybe if I was to think of the most taboo, I mean, if you want to reframe that question, like maybe what's the most- Sure. Yeah, intense, maybe oh, every everyone's individual. Cause like, I just want to say here that the definition of kink, cause that's kind of where I feel like we're going here is anything that's outside the norm of what you would find taboo. So some people always do sex missionary. So doing it in cowgirl might be like kink. Um, this question, Andrew. <laughs> um, you can make it up. Like you could combine like six different. <laughs> yeah. It's such an Andrew question. Such an Andrew question. It's like I'm. I'm so. I'm. My mind goes towards like the shapeshifter, actually, of the erotic blueprints and how they basically love 
pretty much everything. So they'll so their fantasy would effectively be a combination of all the other blueprints. So it might be that you start out, okay, maybe you have like this entire weekend and you start out on um, really energetically and you, it's all sort of like tantric breath work and eye gazes and maybe psychedelics and MDMA. And then um, maybe you start to, maybe you start to write, um, have a go into a role play and get people to come in and there's a big orgy um maybe there's like tons of I mean that's what I used to run was like a massive play party hot tubs shibari involved um that's another thing you can put into the equation uh is oh, Japanese rope tying it's the most sensual art I've come across in the bedroom um oof I feel like I'm not doing justice to this question um what about the eargasm? Oh, okay. So we're talking about exploring orgasm potential. Yeah. So um, this requires, so, okay. So the more you become, um, let's say, somatically kind of aware and aware of your body, which means really exploring breath practices, because I think breath and sound is one of those really underrated things. We can actually start to bring pleasure to all areas of the body and and explore full body orgasms and it could be maybe just our ear it could be um i once had a friend that um she had an orgasm just through making sounds so it's like a <laughs> and and just by doing that she brought herself to orgasm so i guess a really juicy exploration might be to start cultivating more pleasure in other areas of the body and using sound movement and breath to do that but that would be a deeper discussion and i would totally recommend the book urban tantra um with exploring that kind of stuff um yeah it does require i feel a lot of like presence on pleasure because i think a lot of us are in our heads during sex um so i feel like starting with really like maybe expanding the orgasm potential in our genitals first before moving to other parts of the body but, but for the record it is possible to have an orgasm in your ear or yes? Yes, I mean, I can't say that with personal experience, but I have heard that people can have um, such pleasurable experiences on like oh, a, a single body part. Um, yeah, it could be your feet, it could be um, a full body one. Yeah, right. definitely you, possible. I, I, we were about to end it, but actually two things have come up that I, I would regret if I don't bring up. <laughs> and then I promise we'll end it. So the first is that you mentioned breath around sex many times and I've kind of like when you mentioned it first I was like what breath during sex like okay yeah you breathe but in the same way like breath whilst you're eating like it's not a big deal but you've mentioned it so many times now I, I wonder like what am I missing there what is the relationship between breath and sex and and because that I, I literally have no idea what you're talking about uh, and the second thing you said something that I think everyone can relate to which is just getting into your head um why does that happen? And what are some concrete strategies that you could give people to I suppose, get out of their head um, so that they can actually enjoy the experience? Oh, and yeah, then we'll I, finish. Thank you. I love both of these questions so much. <laughs> oh my God, they're so great. So, um, okay, breath, breath, breath is so important. So um, in sex, especially when we're in performance model, um, i.e. when we're like, we're so engaged. We're, uh, do you guys know the difference between the parasympathetic and the sympathetic nervous system? I think it might be useful to elaborate on for everyone listening. Yeah. Okay, so uh, one is 
when our nervous system is in fight and flight, so we're quite activated, our breath is quite shallow and intense and quick. Um, that's often how we have sex in that state. And it's often when the inhales are longer than our exhales. And basically that changes, our breast changes our state of consciousness um, or the way that we perceive the world and how we feel. Um, so you'll notice even if you start breathing like this, for example, if you do that for an entire minute, that's called the breath of fire, that's totally gonna change the way you feel. You're gonna feel a little bit lightheaded. Um, you might start getting tingles in your body um, and that'll change your, your experience of sex. Alternatively, you might do um, a really relaxing practice, like a deep breath where your exhales are longer than your inhales. And that brings you into a state of relaxation, i.e. in your parasympathetic nervous system. And that's often overlooked in sex because we're so we're going at it so hard, fast and hard. So remembering like in sex to slow down and take a deep breath and that noticing the effect that that has on your body. Um, and playing with both of those states is really important. Like we're so fixated and being in the fast and hard that we forget to slow down and, and really play with a spectrum of sensation that we can achieve through breath play. Um, and I would say again, like Urban Tantra is a great book to get inspiration for different types of breath work. So um, related to that, and um, I apologize for taking a bit long on this question, but um, yeah, sound is really linked to that. So when we make sound in sex, we're activating the vagus nerve like this about the, and when we activate our um, vocal cords, um, you know, so many people get shamed for like making all this noise and being like, ah, ah, ah. and like, it's actually really good. It's really fucking healthy for people to make noises during sex. Like I, I used to really, um, get shamed a lot from previous partners for making a lot of noise during sex and for a while it shut me down um but um now that I'm more educated about this I'm like unashamedly noisy during sex so I'd like to invite all listeners to play with um both the breath and the and sound during sex um so that's what I would say on breath I don't know if you have any follow-up questions from what I've just that, said. that's super I mean you that I had no idea about that at all so that's really worth bearing in mind thank you Amazing. Yeah. Great question. Um, and then you mentioned, uh, uh, getting into a head, how, like, why are we in our heads during sex or like so often and how do we get out of our heads? Yes. So we live in a very, um, disconnected from our body society. So we pretty much treat our body like a brain taxi. It's just like this thing that helps us to get from A to B to pick up things. Um, and so when we're in sex, we kind of, go into we're so conditioned to be thinking of the next move what comes next that we forget to sink into our body and it's the same sensation when maybe when you're dancing do you think about what the next move is like what it, what happens when you're doing any kind of movement practice like martial arts or yoga um this helps you to get just a really a stronger connection to the body which helps you to not like to think during sex a lot of people just stay in their head so and often you ask me the, the reasons why people would stay in their head it might be um they don't feel safe with this person um it might be that they have a lot of like limiting beliefs around their 
desirability or their ability to speak up or they feel really stressed or they might be short-circuited because there's been too much touch. Um, there's a whole host of reasons um, and one of the tools to help us get back into our body is firstly being aware that we're even in our heads. I think so many people are, in, are on autopilot, they don't even notice in the moment um, that they're in their heads. So if you can do that, I think awareness gives us choice. So the moment you realize that you're in your head, go to the breath, slow down, take some deep breaths and tune in to what you're feeling. Like, how does your heart feel? How does the temperature of your feet and hands feel? How does someone's skin feel on your skin? All of those things that help us to just sink into following pleasure rather than pushing for pleasure. So that I would, yeah, encourage people to, to sort of support that with maybe dance practices or meditations to help A, bring awareness, but also remove some of the like rigidity that we have in our body um, and just to help people to get out of their heads and follow pleasure for pleasure's sake. Um, like dance like a seven-year-old. You'll notice there's a correlation between how good a dancer is and how good they are at sex because dancers just know how to like, yeah, they know how to like, well yeah this is hopefully an invitation then for you to practice dancing every day honestly it's like just pick a song every day and dance to it in exactly the way you want to dance it doesn't need to be any beautiful intricate steps i love it pleasure is the measure Hanine, thank you so much for taking the time to um, there's still so much knowledge to us and, and to our audience of 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 no one <laughs> and to our, our no sponsors. Um, this has been super fun. I look forward to, to, to talking to you about this more in the future. Thanks for everyone to listening to the first episode of the High Performance for Lazy People HP4LP podcast. We'll be back with more and see you soon. I'd love to leave our listeners with a brief breath practice just to help you get in your body before you get on with the rest of your day. So just starting with feeling your feet on the ground and gently closing your eyes. I'm gonna take three deep breaths. I'm gonna inhale for three, two, one, and exhale for six. And inhale. And one last inhale. And now that we're all relaxed, it's a good time to head over to the iTunes store, search high performance for lazy people, HP for LP and leave us a five-star review.